coming up on today's show, we have an interactive quiz that you at home can join in with. Uh, we visit and discuss Victory of the Daleks as the 11th Doctor faces off with his mortal enemies for the first time in his era. And we find out exactly what our mortal enemies, the other Doctor Who podcasters, really think of those gigantic, colourful new Daleks. The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Rob. Liam's here, too. Say hello, Liam. Hello, Liam. Hello. Uh, We're back. And it's about Um, time. And it's about time. About bloody time. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Yes, today it's Victory of the Daleks. Um, I don't think we've done many 11th Doctor stories. We did The Beast Below at one point. Um, Wait a minute, was that just me? Was that a solo podcast? It it may have been. I can't remember talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) And of course we've done The Day of the Doctor. Mm -hmm. For some reason we did that over two podcasts. (laughs) Just to make it confusing. We had a lot to say about that one, I think, probably. Mm. We might have a lot to say about this one. <laughs> Another two-parter on the horizon, maybe. <laughs> so, everything okay? Um, have you been watching anything this week, or perhaps reading anything? <laughs> reading, yes. Watching, no. Um, well, actually, no, that's not uh, that's not true. I have actually been watching some uh, some old episodes of Family Guy. Um, suddenly had the urge to, to watch them, and I did, and found them quite enjoyable. So, my goodness, I actually switched the television on. Um, I know, crazy times. Uh, And yes, uh, just before we started recording the podcast, I was telling you that uh, I think I've got a problem with uh, with, uh, reading. I've just been going on a ridiculous um, book-buying binge. Um, The other day I got about ten books delivered. Just just the norm. Ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, just just (laughs) absurd. But anyway... um, but I, I am so. I don't know where I'm finding the time because work has just been incredibly busy and um, just putting in the hours in. But somehow I'm still managing to find time to um, to read, which is quite good. Um, so at the moment I'm reading uh, Frederick Forsyth for the very first time. I'm reading his first novel, uh, Day of the Jackal, uh, and I'm really, really enjoying it. I re- there's something about the intricacies of how he plots the story and his descriptions of everything. It's uh, you, you, it, it's uh, it's just great, and you it's a um, you gauge in the story in a way that these sort of these thrillers I haven't experienced before. I really like him as a writer already, um, and I I've also got the the Odessa file, uh, which I'm looking forward to reading. I have seen the film. Because uh, there's there's famous films in terms of Doctor Who, the Odessa file had uh, had Mary Tam in one of the leading roles for that, and I remember being that a very very good film. So I'm reading Frederick Forsyth at the moment and really really enjoying it. That's cool. But you haven't been watching anything other than Family Guy, yeah? Well, Doctor um, Who, of course. Uh, Doctor Who, of course. Um, but yeah, it's no, I don't think I've watched anything else. How about oh. you? Um, I rewatched uh, season three, which is the latest season of Stranger Things. All oh, right, yes. I don't don't know why. We just kind of me and my wife just put that on. We thought we'll watch an episode, and then we just ended up watching the whole season. Mm-hmm. Uh, apart from that, oh, I did watch. Well, you you will be aware of the Tiger King on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, we just watched uh, Louis Thoreau revisits. Um, the Tiger King on BBC. Ah, right, okay. I think he did visit him. He did a documentary about him long before the um, the whole Tiger King phenomenon on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did go back to kind of revisit a lot of that now. And then he came across, across a lot of obstacles. He got letters from the Netflix show saying everyone's in exclusive contracts with them. And he it turns out we couldn't really uh, interview the Tiger King. <laughs> but, uh, right, okay, that seems bizarre. Okay. Um, news-wise, I was just reading John Delancey is returning as Q from Star Trek The Next Generation in Picard. 
Ah, okay. I was got. <laughs> I was got. When I think of Q, my first mind straight away goes to James Bond. So I was like, what? I, who? <laughs> oh, right. So, yeah. Obviously, I remember the. Uh, I remember the, the, the character from Q from the, the Next Generation. It was one of the. Um, uh, one of the most intriguing characters, certainly the most memorable. I always remember yep. whenever he popped up, um, Whoopi Goldberg seemed to as well. Well, she's back as well. Ah, I didn't know that. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, she will be for season two of Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be an interesting um, kind of clash of these characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming up in a few moments, we'll be doing an interactive quiz all about Victory of the Daleks. I'll be asking Liam 10 simple questions, don't worry Liam, um, all about the episode. Mm -hmm. And you can play along too if you head over to our website, which is cloisterbellpodcast.com. In the menu, if you click extra and then games, you'll find it there. Alternatively, the address for the quiz is cloisterbellpodcast.com forward slash victory quiz. If you're listening to this podcast on our website, please remember to open the game in a separate window, otherwise it might close the episode altogether. Um, and while everyone's heading over there, I think we'll have a quick listen to the Victory of the Daleks trailer. What was that? Our new secret weapon! The Daleks have no conscience, no mercy. They will win me the war. You cannot trust them. Okay, so Liam, are you ready? <laughs> yes, I'm ready as I'll ever be. Okay, question one. What colour is the Supreme Dalek? White. We're talking about the, the new paradigm. Okay, white. Mm. What does the Doctor claim was the TARDIS self-destruct button? Uh, Jammy Dodger. Jammy Dodger. Oh, by the way, I will give you multiple choice answers here. All right, okay, sorry. Am I just am I just chipping in and just ruining yeah. everything? Sorry, Rob. Okay, just go with it. It's cool. <laughs> How many British Army style Daleks feature in this episode? Oh. Two, three, five, or eight. Three. Three. Who wrote Victory of the Daleks? Stephen Moffat, Gareth Roberts, Chris Chibnall, or Mark Gatiss? Mark Gators. Which episode follows Victory of the Daleks? Time of Angels, The Beast Below, The Vampires of Venice, or Vincent and the Doctor? Uh, what was the second option again? The Beast Below. No, it wasn't that. Um... Time of Angels, Vampire of Venice, Vincent and the Doctor. Time of Angels? How much time had passed on Earth between Churchill calling the Doctor and the Doctor arriving? One day... One hour, one week, one month. One month. Who did Churchill say he may give a favourable reference to? The Daleks, Hitler, the Doctor, the Devil. (laughs) The Devil. What did the Daleks need from the Doctor? A confession? His name? A testimony? Or a jammy dodger? (laughs) Kind of hinges on the whole plot of the thing. It's a testimony. What was used to bring back the Daleks? The progenitor device? A time corridor? The Genesis Arc? Or Professor Edwin Bracewell? Um, what was the first option again? The progenitor device. Yeah, that one. What was inside Bracewell? A warp star? A neutron bomb? A tribal physical waveform macrokinetic extrapolator? <laughs> Or an oblivion continuum. <laughs> I'm tempted to ask you just to say what the third option was, just for larks. Um, sorry, Rob, could you repeat the first two options? Uh, warp star or neutron bomb? Uh, I think I've got this wrong, but I th- uh, I'm going to go for neutron bomb. Neutron bomb it is. Well, Liam, you got eight out of ten. Oh, well done. Not bad. Okay, uh, what did I get wrong? So you did pretty well. The ones you got wrong was how many British army style Daleks were featured in the episode. Um, the correct answer I'd given was two, which I believe to be right. Um, there was only two aboard the saucer when they were destroyed. Oh, yes, you're right. I was getting mixed up um, because there was three of... Yes, you're right. It was two. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was inside Bracewell? Um, you said... 
the famous Dalek neutron bomb, but it was in fact the Oblivion Continuum. Ah, right. I had a feeling I got that wrong, but okay. (laughs) So, receiving a call for help from his old friend Winston Churchill, the 11th Doctor and Amy Pond head for World War II to assist Prime Minister. Once there, though, the Doctor reunites with his greatest enemies, the scum of the universe, the Daleks. But why are these survivors passing themselves off as man-made weapons? And why don't they recognise the Doctor? What could these Ironsides have planned? So, first broadcast 11 years ago this week, in fact, on the 17th of April 2010. And it starred Matt Smith as the Doctor, Karen Gillan, Amy Pond, Ian McNeese as Churchill, Bill Patterson as Bracewell. The production team for this episode, Mark Gatiss, was the writer. Produced by Peter Bennett, directed by Andrew Gunn. So, additional stuff about this episode, um, it's had a few physical releases, obviously, first released as Series 5 Volume 1 on DVD, and it was later released as the full series on DVD and Blu-ray. I think, you know, this was the first series that received a steelbook treatment. Um, I seem to remember it was a bulky steelbook, it it wasn't that attractive, it was just a grey kind of metal and it had a, a picture of the crack on the front do you remember that name it rings I a faint bell now that you mention it yeah i think i preferred my dvd mm, well, yeah. and box set the box set uh it's kind of a shift in style from the russell t davis era because back then we had a sleeve with a gatefold cardboard set which was really nice and for the moffat era we got like a sleeve it was like a plastic digi stack with the discs in so it's more compact i guess Possibly cheaper to manufacture, but uh, it was quite different. There was an episode of Doctor Who Confidential uh, broadcast to accompany this episode entitled War Games. A cut-down version was included on the uh, home releases, if you want to check that out. Um, in this, Matt Smith admits that the blue Dalek was his favourite. Did you have a favourite colour? Yeah, I, th- I think I, I think it would probably be the blue one as well. How about you? Like the, probably the yellow. Alright, <laughs> oh, okay. Moffat had apparently taken Gatiss out for a drink and he said, look, I want you to do Daleks meet Churchill. And uh, Gatiss was a bit apprehensive, but um, did it anyway. (laughs) Mark Gatiss revisited the cabinet war rooms in that in Whitehall for his research. Um, So it's it's worth a watch just to have a look at that. Um, The room itself in reality is a lot smaller to what um, is seen in the episode. Mm -hmm. And, And the the map on the table wouldn't have been present. That was more of a thing that you took the RAF bases. It was Moffat's idea to have Spitfires in space, um, which was mostly CG, but also a full-scale Spitfire fuselage and cockpit was used against green screen for the for the kind of shots of the pilot. Um, there's an InVision commentary with Nick Briggs, Mark Gatiss and Barnaby Edwards, um, I didn't watch that, but I'm sure they had a good old chat about that. <laughs> also, there's a special feature called Monster Files the Daleks. Um, I'll have a look at a few of the things I learned on that before we move on to the main story. Moffat said that he wanted Matt Smith to face the Daleks early in his run because um, once you face the Daleks, you kind of are the Doctor <laughs> to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dalek ship interior was actually a cigar factory. Oddly enough, it wasn't okay. a it wasn't a set that they'd made. It was just a location they found. I I would never have known that. I just I I just I've always just assumed it was a set. Yeah, nice big silver set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the in this special feature, Mark Gatiss confirms that from his point of view, the Daleks have escaped the incident with Davros and the reality bomb. I know maybe we assumed that, but it wasn't kind of established in the episode. Mm. Talking of being inside a Dalek for two hours without having the head off, the operator Barnaby Edwards said, "You actually want to exterminate the rest of humanity." <laughs> so a bit of a, a bit of insight. I would say to be a Dalek operator, you become a Dalek. Uh, Moffat referred to the fact that Amy does not know the Daleks, and he said, "Having the Daleks invade Earth so much uh, meant that it was getting a bit yawn for the new characters." So that kind of 
where his approach came from to kind of retcon the Daleks in her mind. Moffat talks of his love for the Peter Cushion Daleks and that had influenced the new ones. He has another interesting point. Producer Edward Thomas talks of this one had a lot more, sorry, of the new Daleks. He said these had a lot more capability from a weapons point of view. You'll see down the back of the Dalek there's a series of flaps and basically each one of these comes out and you can see around the top of the body there's where the laser gun disappears and a new weapon would come out. And he said, so we'll see that happening in the future. So there was an idea that the back of the Dalek would open, a new weapon would slide across the shoulder and go around the front, the old weapon would go around and be concealed in the back. Oh, okay. That sounds... a uh, elaborate thing. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, I wish Apparently we saw that's that. Why the, that's why the skirt size was so big, because it was full of weapons. Right, okay. Never mind, eh? Yeah, never... Yeah. I mean, we've always said uh, in previous podcasts, because uh, we've always sort of raised this as, as a point, that the um, these new Paradigm Daleks, they came in for a lot of flack. But clearly, they, from, from the... Uh, but I thought... And I think you agree, there was a lot of potential here, and I wish they stuck with their guns and did what it is that they had had in mind. Now that you're telling me all this, which I didn't know, it's just like, oh, for goodness sake, why did we should? Why didn't they? This sounds really good. I would have, at the very very least, would have liked to have seen some of this stuff. And they clearly yeah. put a lot of hard work into the design and uh, and everything. I know it's like I know we'll talk about this more later on, mm. but. I think what all do appreciate the original Daleks and the, the new era Daleks from 2005. They kind of retained all the dimensions there, but just kind of added more to it, more layers to it kind of thing mm. in detail. Um, and this new one is a departure from that because it's the dimensions of it are radically different. Uh, so I don't know if that's kind of where people are coming from. I think that's so. too but, much of a departure. But... The- the the point that I always understood is that these Daleks all had a certain purpose, that they were in charge of a certain aspect. So you know, you had a scientific Dalek, you had the Supreme Dalek. There was um, there was a drug, an, an Eternal, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, an Eternal. So they were in charge of their division. Um, so these were like the leaders of whatever, and then other Daleks wouldn't wouldn't have the same identical look. Now, Mark Gatiss also confesses his love for the Cushion Daleks, and I was wondering, what's your favourite oh. of, of the movie Daleks? Of the movie Daleks? Yeah. Um, they're a really great design. I think... I think probably... If you, if you, if you had to have one in your, living, in your living room, which one would it be? <laughs> well, when you put it like that, it's dead easy. Um, no, I think probably my favourite one is, is the Black Dalek with the... I think it has gold and silver... Um, what do you call them? Bobbles? <laughs> Balls? Don't... Uh, they're called hemispheres. Hemispheres, yeah, that just sounded a lot better. Uh, so it's the black Dalek with the gold and silver hemispheres, I think. Although the red one's pretty good as well. Uh, I'm... I'll go... Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, I don't know. It is tricky. Uh... Okay, um, but would you go with um, the first movie over the second? Because the... the... The second movie has the shoulder slats, similar to um, how it came about in um, the TV show. To be honest, yes, because when when you talk about the movie Daleks, because even though obviously we know that there are the two movies, the one that immediately comes to mind and is the first one. Right, okay. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I, I don't know. As a kid, I, I saw the first movie first, mm-hmm. and I really wanted one of those blue Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think I prefer the um, the silver and blue from the second movie. Right. Okay. For some reason, mm. <laughs> Moffat references that the he references that in the Power of the Daleks, mm-hmm. the phrase "I am your servant." Yeah, is acknowledged in this because um, the Dalek says, "I am your soldier." Yeah, and Gatiss told Nick Briggs, the Dalek voice operator. Um, to kind of linger for a second on the S, so the audience would think, oh, is he going to say servant? <laughs> I don't think anyone actually thought that. <laughs> I, I, I did actually, but anyway, let's move on. Oh, did you? <laughs> and the very first the very first time I watched it, because Power of the Daleks is probably my favourite Dalek story. 
I think it's great. I, I became aware of it from an early age because um, for a present at some point, um, it was a it was a double cassette of um, you had the audio of the the televised story because it's one missing from the archives. We can't watch it. I know we now have the animated version, but in terms of the televised version, we can't watch it. Um, but we do have the audio. And the story, the, the, the linking material was narrated by Tom Baker. Um, and I remember just absolutely just loving that story. So I was probably seven when I first heard that. Um, so I've been aware of Power of the Daleks from, you know, from a very young age. And I absolutely love it. And as I said, I think it's probably my all-time favourite Dalek story. So the very first time when I watched Victory of the Daleks... When you're hearing them, I am your s-, and then it's just going, eh? You, you, I automatically made the link, so I just thought uh-huh. it was going to say servant, but it's just like soldier. What? But um, so the very first time that I watched it, I, I thought that maybe it was going to. I mean, either way, it's it was clearly a reference to Power of the Daleks, um, but obviously having the Daleks say soldier makes much more better context in the story. So I think. Um... On with the main review, and we'll have a little breakdown of the episode. The opening scene places us clearly at a specific, familiar point in time in history, but with an unexpected element, the Daleks. When we have the kind of um, the Dalek model is kind of stood across the the map. It was a little reference I, I picked up. Uh, the kind of mentioned Biggin Hill, which was a the RAF base. And uh, my grandmother um, was there during the Second World War. Oh, so wow. So there's a lot, okay. a lot of history there that she told me, you know. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, attacks on the, the RAF base there because mm-hmm. um, I think it was one of the primary places for launching airstrikes mm-hmm. and defence. Yeah. That's impressive. Did you did you was that all you knew, or did did you have first hand stories from? Uh, did you hear? No, no, not many. She. she she told me when she was stationed there and she travelled down and um, I think she did a lot of... Um, she, she wasn't a, a pilot or anything. <laughs> no, <laughs> she, no, yeah. <laughs> um, she did work in the kitchens for a lot and she, she told me how like she'd be cooking for hundreds of people and things like that. Mm-hmm. I wish I remembered more, really. Yeah, I know, because... Uh, yeah, that, that's fantastic. My great-grandfather um, fought in the Second World War and just as I was finding out about it, uh, he sadly passed away. Um, I, you know, I have very fond memories of him, but actually hearing him tell stories. I mean, I heard things secondhand uh, later on, uh, but it would have been great to actually have heard, heard them from himself. So the Doctor arrives and he's greeted at gunpoint, similar to um, Canary Wharf, I thought. He steps out the TARDIS. Yeah, also it also sort of reminded me of Curse of Fenric, uh, which is another story set during the Second ah, World right. War. But you know, there's a bit where it's it's not immediately after they've uh, left the TARDIS. They've uh, the Doctor and Ace have walked a little bit down, but then they're surrounded by soldiers pointing pointing their guns at them. Um, All right. So it reminded me a bit of that as well. The Doctor is a month late, as we kind of established in the quiz earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, as an enemy strike is imminent, the Doctor's taken up to the roof to witness, um, but the Daleks are revealed. Um, I love the new paint job. Yeah. Do you do you like that? In terms of the story, yes. I mean, I couldn't see it working in um, that, that, that sort of paintwork. Yeah, it's not the, the new look. <laughs> yeah, um, but in terms of Victory of the Daleks, it, it works really rather well. It, it, it does look good, and so, so it would be very difficult to see, um, you know, the, sort of the bronze-look Dalek fitting in with the aesthetic of World War Two. Yes. Uh, the Daleks deny knowing the Doctor. Uh, of course, this is a lie, but it does reflect on how they actually didn't know him, kind of post-Salem of the Daleks. The Doctor's shown the blueprints um, and photos and everything, so it's it's a very elaborate lie. <laughs> They've kind of really done the homework and kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very they have. Elaborate. They've really got the town on it. They haven't done anything half-measured, have they? No. <laughs> the Doctor's kind of sure Amy would back him up when he's kind of saying, you know, the Daleks, they're, they're bad. Bad news, they're aliens. Um, 
he even references the planets in the sky at this time, but at this moment, but uh, of course, Amy doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's quite quite troubled by this, and when he's telling Amy, um, I'll give someone credit for pointing this out, but I was on Twitter last week, and someone had pointed out and they put the video on of this scene, but when Amy says she can't remember them, you hear the silence. Oh. Didn't, Oddly enough. Didn't. I don't know how it's relevant, but it's there. Yeah. But, which is a bit odd, because she didn't forget because of the silence. She forgot because of the crack in her house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Churchill acknowledges the danger that the Daleks um, present. But he sees them uh, as kind of necessary to win the war. Um, and it's enough for him to kind of ignore the Doctor's pleadings to... Um, to not trust the Daleks. In fact, of course, he says, or rather paraphrases a famous line, if Hitler invaded hell, I would give a favourable reference to the devil. In reality, he did say this um, in support of sending aid to the Soviet Union, openly defending Stalin, kind of a necessary evil. So it's kind of a, a comparison here with the Daleks. <laughs> There's a funny moment, the Daleks offer Bracewell some tea. <laughs> <laughs> that never fails to crack me up. I just, I love that. <laughs> Would you like a cup of tea? Um, it's, I never realised I needed, <laughs> I needed to hear a Dalek say that. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I love it. the question, how on earth did it make it and put it there? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't think about it too much. Just, just savour the don't, fact that. Yes, don't, don't ruin the magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Bracewell goes on to explain to the Doctor how ideas just pop into his head. Um, clearly a flaw in the Daleks' design here because he becomes a key point in defeating them. Mm-hmm. They've made they've made him too good. They've made him too well. <laughs> That's free will for you. The Doctor confronts the Dalek and when asked which war they're fighting, it, it refuses to answer. So then the Doctor kind of names himself, giving them exactly what they needed. And the, the drop cover, and it's clear they have a plan. Mm. So aboard their ship, the progenitor is activated. Um, some soldiers are killed. To me, it was a bit reminiscent of Totters Lane in uh, Remembrance. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Daleks shoot Bracewell's hand off, revealing that he is their creation. Uh a bizarre, unexpected twist. So the Doctor goes off in his TARDIS without Amy, I guess, to keep her safe. And he boards the Dalek saucer. And this is where he pulls out the jammy dodger uh, as the self-destruct. Um, at this point, I, was, I wasn't sure if I did like the interior of the ship. Um, but then i become to learn that it was just a location. So in that respect, it works really well. <laughs> So basically, you're pleased that it wasn't. It wasn't. No one designed it as a set. Yes. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been awful. But the fact that it was a location, it makes it work. Okay. It's just a. It's just a real life awful location. <laughs> um, they reveal that the progenitor contains pure Dalek DNA, and they couldn't open it because uh, it no longer identified them as pure Daleks. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this. Is, when have we first had a reference to the Daleks not being um, pure Daleks? Uh, of course, it was referenced in, is it um, Bad Wolf, the partner of the ways that they were part human, but it also goes back to Remembrance, mm-hmm. uh, Revelation, rather. Yeah. Anywhere earlier than that? I don't think so, actually. Be, I think, no, it, I really, think yeah. it was... Um... The Colin Baker awesome. and the Sylvester McCoy uh, Dalek stories, yeah. And then he said in terms of the new series, they carried it on and it, it became a big thing with um, the parting of the ways. Um, all so human, the, the human Daleks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And of course, the, um, the new paradigm Daleks destroy them, um, which is in, in line with their view of um, kind of racial purity, which is a contrast to um, the Nazis, I guess. Yeah, I mean... Th- when I first watched the story, um, when it was first broadcast, back in 2010, which uh, makes me feel old, because uh, I remember watching this episode and then realising it's just like, it's 11 years old, good God. Um, anyway, uh, I remember that scene really standing out, and it still does, the, in terms of the characterization of the Daleks, you know, that whole thing about racial purity. And the fact that 
the fact that the um, the because the, the these new paradigm Daleks are going right, you're, you're inferior, so we're gonna we're going to destroy you. Prepare, you know, pr- pr- prepare for your extermination. And these Daleks are going, yep, yeah, we're prepared. And there was just something really perverse about that, and it it, um, it it just really sticks with you. I think, as in terms of the characterization of the Daleks, I think it works incredibly well. Yes, it goes into the racial purity thing, which has been there since uh, since their very first story. But in terms of themselves, and it was the fact that the other Daleks were willing to be destroyed to let these pure Daleks, you know, be the superior race, if you like. It was just. Uh, it bothered me, but in a good way because you know, in terms of the drama and the characterization of the Daleks, if, if you see what I mean. Yeah, we almost got a touch of that in um, Bad Wolf: The Partner of the Ways with mm-hmm. Christopher Eccleston when he said um, they hate their own existence. Yes, yeah, a part yeah. Human, and that makes them more dangerous than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back down on Earth, they've located the saucer from Earth somehow. Then the Daleks have turned off all the lights, <laughs> and there's an imminent airstrike due. <laughs> Jeez. So um, Amy concludes that Bracewell must be the key to defeating them. And of course she's right, he's full of ideas. But then back on board the ship, the the new Paradigm Dogs emerge. It was it was a very good dramatic scene, I guess. A lot of people didn't like it, some people loved it. Um, either way, I think the scene's directed really well, shot really well, the music works. Yeah, it's very... There's a strong message here that it's kind of out with the old, in with the new. Mm-hmm. And the fact that these, the old Daleks were destroyed, it was quite symbolic. Um, they're, you know, they're ancient history now. But of course, that w- wouldn't be the case. <laughs> <laughs> so, Liam, how would you sum up the new paradigm Daleks in one word? <laughs> um, wasted. Wasted. That's an interesting answer, actually. We'll find out why in a moment. We did ask some other Doctor Who podcasters how they would sum up the new Paradigm Daleks in one word. All oh, right, okay. Neither the Time Nor Space podcast said glorious. All right, okay. That's that's good. I've um, I'm quite. It's quite nice that someone's described them in in that way. Yeah. Uh, Martin uh, over at the Bad Wolf podcast said pricks. <laughs> Well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that might be the perfect answer. <laughs> Wait for it. Uh, <laughs> the Who New podcast said chunky. <laughs> yes. <Bit> harsh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Doctor Who show said awkward. Um, I haven't elaborated on that. I don't know. Well, you did say awkward. in one word. Harry and Luke over at the Who Can Convince You podcast said memorable but they did elaborate good or bad they stay in your mind that is, yeah that is true that they, they are memorable um yeah. despite the fact that you know they've only had this one this one appearance so you, you can't forget yeah. them the complete menagerie podcast said feeble and they said that was the polite version oh okay <laughs> wonder what the uncensored version was i think i can hazard a guess the companion piece podcast said Wasted. That's what you said. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, uh, you have the same uh, mind. And at first I thought, like, what, like, wasted, like, wasted opportunity, the drunk wasted. <laughs> they clearly but, um, no, they, they, they did wasted. elaborate. Um, <laughs> they said, I understand the backlash a bit, but I think if they'd moved past it and tried to do something different, mm-hmm. maybe shown the, shown the role of each of them that they actually had, maybe it would have worked more. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunate. Terminus Doctor Who podcast said, Technicolor. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh... <laughs> Okay, but... Well, anyway, sorry, well, back on with the... Well, no, no, no hang on, wait a second, Rob. I mean, if you would describe them in one word, what what would your word be? Big. <laughs> Fair enough, yep. So Bracewell considered killing himself as Amy and Churchill walk in. And he's clearly, he clearly has memories of a life before. Um, so this person must have been a person um, before they kind of imprinted this this personality on the android. So much that he's 
self-aware and suicidal. So he's a it's, it's a shame he's in such a bad place. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. it's a, I mean yeah, yes it is. It's a, it's a tremendous shame. Um I think it's understandable though because it, there's just one line which kind of explains that the memories that he has were were real. They were stolen off a real person. I mean, mm. I think you would have a major identity crisis if, if you found out that actually or the life you've lived uh, is actually a complete fabrication and they're actually memories of somebody else. And <laughs> no, I think you, I think, I think if you had an identity crisis and a, a, you know, and all the rest of it, I, th- I think people would forgive you in those circumstances. Maybe. Yeah. Fair I mean, enough. I think yeah. he, he, he manages to deal with it incredibly well, to be honest. And I, I love the relationship that he and Amy have in this story and, and Amy's role in it. Um, I, I think is is really nicely done because really it's it's Amy who you know talks him out of the suicide by saying, "Look, actually, you've got a purpose. You can you can help us with this." Uh, and we'll and get... Churchill says something to the extent of like, "What are you, a machine or a man, or something like that?" Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, which I liked as well. As Amy and Churchill kind of put their minds together to send something up into space, they set. Bracewell to work with all his crazy ideas. Conveniently, Bracewell has rigged up a mini TV to pick up Dalek transmissions, and conveniently, there's a nice video feed of the Doctor. <laughs> well, he is brilliant, you know. <laughs> yeah. So soon enough, um, Bracewell's fighter planes are ready. You know, it was really quick, <laughs> and they begin to engage the saucer. Um. So we'll have a bit of a. Rebels versus Death Star kind of battle, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah I think that's a, a very good summing up of it. It did, it did very much remind me of uh, Star Wars. Not that that's yeah, a bad thing. Um, and obviously, that this has the, uh, the the added element that it's it's with Spitfires. Uh, no, it's, are, yeah. no, they're not. Spit, are they Spitfires? They are. They are right. Yes, okay, they I'm, are. Yeah, yeah. And they actually had to destroy a dish, which is is very Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So yes, they do destroy the dish and the lights turn off again in London. So they're safe from the airstrike, from the air raid. And then the Doctor is safe aboard the TARDIS and he instructs the fighters to destroy the saucer. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he then has a bit of a face-off with this Dalek Supreme over the scanner. Um, again, kind of a cool moment. I don't know, it's kind of like McCoy and Davros, Kirk and Khan kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and actually um it reminds me of is it resurrection of the daleks the peter davison story yeah you know the uh towards the end when they're in the tardis and then the i think it's the dalek supreme appears on the scanner of the tardis oh yeah um and they have that conversation um i think that it's sort of a better version of that scene ah right um because although it's, uh, I mean, I like Resurrection of the Daleks. I think it's a great story, but I, I think that scene it always felt sort of like a bit rushed and a bit. Uh, I don't know. It just could have been a little bit better, and may- maybe it was actually, it, maybe it would have been better if it was a bit longer. Um, this scene reminds me of of that, but I just think it's 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 better executed because um, you've got the tension, and I think also because, you you know, you've got the Doctor. To, you know, trying to work out well, what, what does he, you know, what does he want to do? Um, yeah, you know. and is this a victory for him? Because yes, he saved the Earth, but the Daleks have won. Oh, and he does quote the final end. Yeah, yeah, I pick, yes, I, yeah, I picked up on that as well. Yeah, another final end. Mm. <laughs> Just so many of them. <laughs> so the Supreme tells the Doctor that if he doesn't call off the attack, then they'll detonate Bracewell, because you know, of course. Should have saw it coming. He has an oblivion continuum. <laughs> um, the Doctor faces a hard choice. Destroy the Daleks, save the Earth. Um, so for the Doctor, um, there was really no other option, was there? Of course he had to save the Earth, but um, the Daleks would come back stronger after this, unfortunately. So he, he then has to deal with Bracewell, and he's got this really buff, metallic torso <laughs> under there yes he has hasn't he <laughs> you noticed <laughs> um he's got this elaborate ticking clock so they try to disarm the bomb by convincing him of his humanity mm-hmm. um 
which he does have, um, or at least the Doctor tries to until um, Amy appeals to his humanity by asking him about a girl. And it seems to work, and the bomb disarms itself. Um, did you have any thoughts, you think, that whole scenario was presented well, or not? <laughs> No, I I quite like this scene, and I did, I did think it was it was presented well. I mean, it is quite funny how how buff the chest is, uh, <laughs> but uh, in terms of everything else, I think I think the scene's quite good. The, the Doctor's really quite mad and manic in this episode, actually, and um, there are very few instances where you have a where you have a, a story in the series where the, the Doctor's going off on one, and you you kind of see how mad he can appear because usually the way that is presented is that you know you know he'll always have you know he'll always be going off on one but we the audience know why he's sort of ranting and raving a bit and then he you know he he'll bring people with him but he'll always be trying to convince someone but on this this is one of the rare occasions where you know, because you see it later on he's trying to convince everyone that these things are evil and you know he he's the one sort of um you know, Winsor Churchill's gone, but just the way that everyone's looking, especially Amy, you know, um, mm. going, you know, you're appearing to be a complete nutter. And and then with this scene, the, the Doctor has, uh, you know, has this idea, but again, he, he's focusing on the fact that, you know, you are human, think of what it is to be alive, but he's focusing on really, really negative emotions. Um, you know, talking about, you know, think about it when your parents died. How did that make you feel? You know, it's just like, but frickin' hell, where the hell's your mind at? Uh, you know, it's just like, you know, he's... Uh, but it's Amy again who comes along and goes, look, think about think about love and think, you know, and you've got this whole thing about uh, Dora Bella and... and Maybe maybe that's it, because maybe the Doctor can't empathise with that because the Doctor doesn't, doesn't often have attachments like that. He's more about the loss. Yeah, but uh, which is interesting. But again, because I was going to make this point earlier, but um, we're now in t- narratively we're sort of appearing at the end of the episode, and everyone, you know, the Doctor's really sort of like downcast that the, the, uh, that the Daleks have won, that they've escaped. Um, but Donna and Winston Churchill, not Donna, sorry, um, Amy, sorry, uh, Amy and Winston. Uh, are saying, um, yeah, but you saved you saved the planet. That's not too shabby. Um, what did the Doctor actually do? Um, oh, well, he arrived. What you mean in this story? Yeah, in terms of like, what did he do to actually save the situation? Because I actually think that the people who are responsible for saving it, uh, I think Amy has a big part in it. Yeah, um, and I think. Um, Sorry, I've forgotten the character. We were just talking about him. The the one with the Bra- buff. Bracewell. Bracewell, yes. Um, and Bracewell. They're the ones who say, what, what's the Doctor done? Yeah, the Doctor didn't even have to give them a push because he wasn't there. Yeah, so... Um, all the Doctor did was... Wave a jammy dodger ar- around. Arrive, make the situation worse by his presence. Yep. <laughs> and then made a choice. Um, and he chose... Which was the wrong one anyway. What save save the Earth? Well, because he was saying because, because of course probably countless billions probably died after that. Well, no, no. What I mean by that is you know you <laughs> made the right choice. You know, to save the Earth. But what I mean is he was going on trusting the Daleks to hold their word, which was just silly, because he he cancel because the Daleks say, look, you, you've put an order to destroy our spaceship. Cancel that order, otherwise we will destroy the Earth. He then he then cancels the order to destroy their spaceship, but then they trigger the bomb anyway. So really, what the Doctor should have done is allowed the order to go through, and anyway, it's another thing. But to me, it's sort of the Doctor didn't really do anything. And you've actually said, you know, he arrives, he makes the situation far worse, and everyone else rallies round um, and and saves the day. Yeah. So better off without him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I object to that, um, because sometimes it's quite nice to have stories where you know the, the doctor you know takes a bit of a backseat or things don't um, go to plan, and other you know other people um, 
sort of uh, have to step up. I, I don't mind that at all. It's just the fact that it's uh, it's written into the story later on as if we've got to go, yeah, the Doctor did really well. Yeah, he saved the planet Earth and it's not too shabby. And I'm watching it going, um, he he, he did bugger he all. He left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all he did above the saucer was kind of talk and observe. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. And wave a jammy dodger around. <laughs> Um, so yes, the Daleks prepare to time jump and leave victorious. Mm-hmm. Um, they raise the flag on the roof of the building and the Doctor, he does say that he gets rid of the advanced Spitfires as to, as to not let Churchill use them to win the war. Mm. And Churchill kind of takes this without a fight, which is odd because... He was willing to disregard the Doctor's view of the Daleks to win the war. And then he gives up this advanced tech without a fight. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point it's it could be argued that um, the Doctor warned Winston about the Daleks. Uh, he, you know, and, and Winston went, well, nonsense, they're, they're, a good, um, they're good to fight the war. But then the Doctor was proven right that, you know, they couldn't be trusted. So... Yeah. On that basis, like, right, okay, I better listen to him. Yeah. But then a moment later, he did steal the TARDIS key. <laughs> yes. So maybe he had that on his mind. <laughs> so the Doctor and Amy, before the head off, they decide to go and see Bracewell, um, who believes that Amy and the Doctor have arrived to deactivate him. But they not so subtly say that they're returning in half an hour, um, and after a while he figures out... <laughs> Um, what they mean (laughs) realises that they're giving them um, a chance to kind of run away Mm -hmm. Um, did did he say back to Adorabella? yeah yeah, I think that was the idea you know go go and find that post office that you remember I guess so Mm -hmm. let's hope um, let's hope he looks like the person whose mind he had (laughs) yeah let's hope so otherwise that could be a bit awkward yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, so he begins packing Although he works for, he's still working for Churchill in Pandorica Opens. So it's like he runs away and then comes back. Yeah, maybe it was just, uh, yeah, because then if he's still working for them and then he pops off, then then he would have gone AWOL. Yeah. And that's not good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've forgotten about his appearance at the, at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Big finish, fix that gap. <laughs> Oh, did they? Oh, I'm surprised. No, no, I'm telling them to. Oh, fix that. Oh, right, okay. I th- I'm surprised they haven't already done it. So, um, Amy and the Doctor return to the TARDIS and kind of waiting outside the TARDIS doors. Amy ponders on the danger of the Doctor's adventures. So she's, she's come to realise that, you know, this is kind of a constant here. He then returns to the problem that Amy doesn't know who the Daleks are. So we have a, um, a bit of a mystery here to solve within the series. Um, so then as they leave, um, the TARDIS dematerializes and the crack is revealed to be on the wall behind the TARDIS. And we also seen it in the previous episode when it was um, on the underbelly of the Starship UK. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah that's the end <laughs> oh yes just to mention earlier I mentioned that someone pointed out that you can hear the silence over that scene that was um, Doctor Who info stamp on Twitter he'd said that I think we'll move on to a few responses before we'll go to a conclusion Martin over at the Bad Wolf podcast said decent idea, poorly done should have been a two-parter the Dalek design was terrible uh, yeah I guess um uh, as a two-parter, it could have breathed a bit more, perhaps. The pacing was a bit uh, was a bit fast for this story. Mm-hmm. Les on Twitter said, "Way better than Revolution of the Dogs or any Chinny app. It was a Saturday night event, and now there's no bloody fun Saturday night events. Only quizzes and F and Ant and Deck. Life bloody sucks now." Yeah. Thanks for cheering us up. Uh- <laughs> I, to be perfectly honest, I, I mean, I'm skating on thin ice with that one, considering we opened up this podcast with a quiz, but we'll let's go around that one. Move on, move on. Move on, move on. But I can't, but apart yes. from that, uh, I you know, can't really argue with it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Can't really argue with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Paul Morris said shite. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I love it when people are that succinct. It's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Charlie from the Complete Menagerie podcast said, as the only member of the menagerie who gives New Who House room, the harken back to power was quite a freezing and McNeese convinced as Churchill mm-hmm. it kind of lost all credibility and stopped making much sense when Bill Patterson, who was priest well, ended up on his back. <laughs> with a buff metal, <laughs> with a buff buff metal, metal chest. chest yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we like that. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of like the scene. <laughs> That's something completely different. But... But it's a part of the scene. It's what makes it. Anyway. Chris Vint on Twitter, um, a new listener to the podcast, said, This for me is my favourite story from Series 5. I think Ian McNeese and Bill Patterson are sublime in this. Mm-hmm. Always one of my favourite episodes of Matt Smith's era. And he also said, I shall give your podcast a go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's, it's interesting to hear such... Um... I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll do our own summing up uh, and con- consolidating our thoughts on it. Um, but I'm really pleased to hear someone who really likes uh, Victory of the Daleks. Because as we know, I mean, since uh, it was broadcast originally in 2010, it's always had um, a bit of a, a mixed reception. Mm. Perhaps, perhaps, he, and I, I've, tend to, I've tend to be more aware of um, the negative reviews of it. So I'm really pleased to hear... That someone genuinely loves it. And the fact that it's yeah, actually it's their favourite. Because I love Series 5. Um, there's so many good stories there. Yeah. yeah I, I th- to say, this is one of the favourites. Yeah, I think Series 5. Um, maybe I need to give this a bit more thought. But uh, I would. I think probably Series 5 is probably my favourite of all of New Who. Uh, I really, really like it. And it's got some cracking good stories in there. Um... um Anyway, yeah, I, I hold off on summarising it, but I, I, that, I, that's great to hear. That it's uh, it's quite nice. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for that, Chris. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I hope you <laughs> hope you enjoy the podcast and come back to it. So we have Alex over at the Doctor Who Target World podcast. Hi, Alex. Uh, you said Victory of the Daleks is not a bad story for the Matt Smith period, and it does have the only appearance of those Daleks. <laughs> those Daleks. <laughs> um, which I wasn't a fan of. Um, I think bits at the end with Amy and Bill Patterson's character are really great. So uh, another kind of positive about the the characters at the end. Mm-hmm. But all in all, he said, not a bad story. So <laughs> Next up, we have the Married to Who podcast. Hello. <laughs> um, not as bad as people say. Mm-hmm. The new Daleks are fine, but the Ironside Daleks are great. Maybe my third favourite Gator script. Hmm. I wonder what the other two are. Yeah. They're the they're top two. So our next one is from Neither the Time Nor Space podcast. Some people say that on a quiet night when the sky is clear and the moon is full, you can still hear my groans from the reveal of the Dalek being the weapon <laughs> that will win us the war. The, Br- the Bracewell subplot was the bit I enjoyed the most from my memory. That's probably one of the most poetic uh, listener feedbacks we've ever received. Uh, that's deep. Yeah, that, that, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we should have opened up that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no disrespect to everyone else who's, who's written in, but that was... Uh, I feel like that should be uh, followed by a round of applause, that one. I'll insert one. Don't worry. <laughs> well, that's it for the responses this week. Thank you, everyone, for getting back to us. We did do a poll on Twitter. Uh, what do you think of the new Paradigm Daleks from Victory of the Daleks? So, of the 13 votes we had, 61.5% said they were awful. <laughs> right, okay. And uh, the rest said they look great. <laughs> It's not a bad result. <laughs> well, it is a bad result. <laughs> but it, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> not too shabby. Um, so I think now we move on to a conclusion and a score. 
so I think something I just mentioned a few moments earlier, I think the pacing of the episode, for me, it doesn't quite work. I think it might have been better, possibly as a two-parter. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, could I be bothered with a two-parter of this story? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe if it had a bit more room there, the pacing would have uh, been a bit better and maybe I would have had a better attachment to the characters. Uh, loved all the performances in this episode. It was really good. Um, some of the themes of war um, that were kind of slightly dabbled with um, were alright, but I think there should have been a bit more substance with that, um, given a kind of comparison with the Daleks and the Nazis, possibly. Or I think um, the whole thing with the, the new Daleks, I found it more frustrating than anything. I did kind of like them at the time, I was aware that they did look a little bit silly, perhaps. Not as menacing. But I feel a bit frustrated because it was the promise of a new direction and that promise was broken. So I think... um, I just presume what went on behind the scenes. But uh, from my point of view, I feel like um, it was a poor decision to kind of abandon that. Yeah, Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, when you said, if you would describe them in one word, what would you say? And I said, wasted. Because, quite simply, I think it was a wasted opportunity. I mean, talking about the episode, so when it was first broadcast, um, I remember being a bit disappointed about Victory of the Daleks, to be honest. I don't think it was awful by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it's, like, really bad television or one of the worst Doctor Who stories. But I just remember feeling it was a little bit... um, lacking in something and uh, it was a bit too fast paced I didn't particularly and I remember uh, people at the time saying that actually it maybe have benefited uh, being a two-parter but watching it again to be perfectly honest I found it a a lot more enjoyable and whatever my overall criticisms were back (laughs) way back 11 years ago um, have have, subs- have subsided for the most part. Um, I actually find it a, a much more enjoyable story. But really, the but again, it goes into the thing of clearly what it was designed to do was launch a new direction for the Daleks. And the fact that that didn't happen sort of renders the the story arguably um, a waste of time. Um, yeah, because we we eventually do have this new Dalek Empire, which is supposedly them, but it's it's not. It's yeah. it's all the old Daleks. And maybe there's a few leaders knocking around that look like these guys. But <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to say it's it's a waste of time because I think that's uh, that's undue cri- harsh criticism. Because actually, the story itself I think is quite entertaining, um, and I quite liked it. And a big a big strength of it is certainly the cast, which is what we've talked about before. And um, Winston Churchill, who's obviously, you know, very iconic. I mean, we have photographs of him. We have video footage of him. We have, the, you know, the audio of those famous speeches that he made. So we're very familiar. Um, getting someone to perform Winston Churchill and, and carry it off, because it's that it's that fine balance. You want someone to play the part, but they there is a little bit of a um, doing a bit of an impression because the man was so famous and so iconic. It's a bit of a fine line to to go on. Yeah, he has to be kind of recognisable. Yeah, Timothy Spall, for example, I think he's a very very good actor. He's been in amazing things and did, has given fantastic performances and he actually played um winston churchill a couple of times including probably most famously during the opening ceremony of the 2012 london olympics and it was oh, right. an awful performance I'm, I'm sorry to say um it, it just came across as a really bad pastiche here, on the other hand, I think we've got an actor who who plays the part really well. He makes the part his own. There is that element of, you know, doing a little bit of impression of of Winston Churchill, uh, which I suppose you know you you need to when you're playing a, a part like that. But he makes the part his own and uh, really believable performance. But then so is everyone else. The, the the performances in this episode I think are really really good and uh, and captivating throughout. 
but everything again the story is enjoyable i like it it's it's a fun romp but the problem goes back to the daleks now back in 2010 you know, I th- you know, as soon as they were revealed, it was just like, oh, it's it's the eye Daleks because it looked like you know Apple iPods and all the rest of it. Not an original observation. Lots of other people made exactly the same comment at the time. Um, but they were they were an interesting idea. They clearly wanted they were, they were clearly trying to do something new with the Daleks, which certainly, and I still think that the series is still crying out for that. Because one of the things that new Doctor Who has had a problem with is the constant utilization of the Daleks, and I don't. I think they worked incredibly well in Christopher Eccleston's era. Since then, I don't think the Dalek the Dalek stories, for one reason or another, have entirely worked. And so then we were presented with this story, which was attempted to bring something new and interesting and exciting. So even though I recognised why. The dark, these new dogs were being criticised and it was mainly because of the design of them but the design wasn't an absolute disaster uh, it was just that you know it's so radically different to anything that we've seen that they've looked like before so they were different um, I think this was an, I may be wrong in this but I think the reason why the, the, the production team decided not to go down that route was because they listened to the criticism mm-hmm. I wish they hadn't I wish they stuck with their stuck with their guns, and especially because at the beginning of this podcast, Rob, you were telling me stuff about the Dalek design and things that they were wanting to do with it, which I didn't know. And so I would have loved, I would have loved, loved to have seen all that. And it's and it, it's it, such it kind a of shame. makes sense because if you do look, there is a panel on the back of the skirt, yeah, which yeah. is obviously meant to open, mm-hmm. and around the shoulders, there's an indentation where the weapons would have slid around the body. Mm. Around the torso in, into the into the back. Yeah, so. and this is another thing as well. A lot of work went into the thought and the design and the execution of putting these things together. And just for the and the, t- the built half a dozen of them, or was it five or six? Yeah, and uh, and then for them not to the whole the whole thing just feels like a wasted opportunity, and that is such a shame. Um, and I think that will always be. Because as I've said before, that's something that we've always raised in the podcast and previous ones where we've talked about the Daleks. It's just like, this waste of opportunity. And th- for me, that's one of the things that will always sort of um, dominate my thoughts of the, of the story. But putting that to one side, everything else I think is perfectly fine, perfectly enjoyable. I will I will more than happily watch it again. In terms of a score... Mm-hmm. I've uh, settled on a 7 out of 10. I'm happy with that. Ah, uh, great minds think alike, uh, yeah. so they say. Um, I've given it exactly the same, 7 out of 10. Yeah, I thought you might have, mm-hmm. yeah. Of the recent episodes that we've covered, uh, because we've looked at uh, Boomtown and um, Smith, Smith and Jones, and Jones previous week. And this one. So you gave Boomtown 10 out of 10. Yes, I gave it, and you gave it a 6. I gave it 6. Then we reviewed Smith and Jones. We both gave it a six. Am I right? You gave it a six as well. Or am I wrong? Thanks. Uh, no, I think I may have. Uh, I think we both gave that a six. And so, apart from Boomtown, we've pretty much been consistent so far. And yeah, I've given this both a seven. It's yeah, pretty solid. I was throughout the podcast. I was pretty confident you were going towards a seven. <laughs> All right. Okay. Am I that predictable? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening, and thank you very much for getting in touch. Um, would love it if all of you would get in touch for next week when we will be revisiting a story of Liam's choice. And um, before he reveals that, a quick reminder, we are on social media. We're on facebook.com slash cloisterbell, Twitter at podcastbell, Instagram, we are cloister underscore bell. We're on YouTube. Um, remember to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and of course we have a great website closetobellpodcast.com and Liam what on earth are we watching this week? (laughs) Well Rob I think this was a good choice and it was really nice to go back to Series 5 which is one of my all time favourites so we'll be sticking with Series (gasps) 5 I, w- I was sure you were going to go for a Capaldi just to like even things out. What's it going to be? Uh, I, w- I was tempted, but was, you know, I just wanted to revel in the, the Matt Smith era a, a little bit longer. Uh, it's the Vampires of Venice. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Great. I'll give that a watch. 
<laughs> good, good. Um, well, thank you for listening, and you'll hear from us soon. Bye. Bye, everyone. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh no.